All right, guys, 1819 News, the podcast. What are we doing here? Well, we are in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama. The only way you get a free and flourishing Alabama is if you have a correct worldview. Well, I've got a worldview specialist, Dr. Del Tackett, coming on. He is a worldview and apologetic specialist, I would say, uh, coming on to talk about uh, some new content that he's created. And we dive into to, to the Truth Project uh, with Focus on the Family. Maybe you're familiar with it. Is Genesis History. Uh, and, and the new engagement project. You guys got to check this stuff out, and he's going to be talking all about it. You're not going to want to miss out. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, the host of this here podcast and the CEO of 1819 News. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a really special podcast today. Um, uh, a gentleman, Dr. Del Tackett, is joining us. Um, he holds a very special place in, in my heart, uh, and we'll get into to why that is. Uh, but Dr. Tackett is the architect and teacher of the Truth Project, or as he refers to himself in the project, he is the tour guide. Uh, he's the director of his Genesis History um, and the creator of the newest teaching series, The Engagement Project. And so Dr. Tackett was also one of the founders of New Geneva Theological Seminary. He's earned has three earned degrees, a doctor of management from Colorado Technical University, most importantly to us here in Alabama, uh, he received a master of science from Auburn university uh, and a bachelor of science from Kansas. And he's got a very distinguished biography and we'll go into a little bit of his history. I'll let him tell his story here shortly. Uh, but Dr. Tackett, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Thank you, Brian. It's uh, great to be with you before we really jump in. I want to talk a little bit about why, uh, Dr. Tackett holds such a special place in my heart. Um, as my audience knows, um, you know, God graciously, saved me and redeemed me when I was in the bowels of a prison in Colorado in Sterling, Colorado in 2010, um, God saved me. And there was a gentleman by the name of Charles Frederick, uh, who God used to plant gospel seeds throughout my prison stay. And Charles Frederick signed me up for a program because he convinced me, he said, Hey, you've got parole coming up soon. You need to get in a program. Well, he, he swindizzled me into getting into some of these faith-based programs they have in prison and one of those was the Truth Project, and um, the Truth Project is a—I um, forget how many weeks is it? Twelve weeks? Thirteen. Thirteen. I was close. Thirteen-week um, series, and what it is? There's an hour of of teaching on videos, and then there's an hour of table discussion. And in the hour of table discussion after each series for the first three weeks, I sat and argued with everyone at the table, basically telling everyone how stupid they were for <laughs> believing this stuff. Um, and on the way back to the unit after the truth project, after about the third, um, the third week, uh, Charles looks over at me and says, you know, Brian, why don't you just give him a chance talking about why don't you just give Jesus a chance? And, and for whatever reason I did, I went back and prayed to myself and God really opened my eyes. And I went to church the next day. Uh, and you know, God, I, I count that the day that, that God saved me. So, um, and then for me to get saved in the truth project and then to jump right into the teaching of the next 10 weeks after the first three weeks of me arguing the next 10 weeks was me soaking everything up like a sponge. And so the truth project is a, a Christian worldview and apologetics course is kind of what I call it. But, um, Dr. Taggart, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, um, 
professional background and then how that led you into creating the truth project and a little bit about just the history of the truth project. Well, sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for the, uh, that testimony. Uh, I have to make sure everyone understands that uh, that's a testimony about the Lord Amen. and what he's, he's done. The, the truth project has gone all over the world. As, as you may know, over 20 million people have been through it and uh, over 130 countries and translations uh, and that and that's through uh, something that we uh, did not advertise. Uh, there was no marketing budget and so forth. It was just uh, done through the uh, the spreading underground, I guess, in the in the way that happened to you. And Amen. so God is the one who has put His hands upon it. He's the one who's blessed it. And um, as you said, I see myself just as as the tour guide. Well, the the story, uh, basically, the thumbnail sketch of of all of this is that. Um, I find myself in the Bush administration at the White House, uh, Bush one, and it was there that the Lord uh, really began to break my heart for uh, the state of this nation. I began to read a lot of the founding generation writings uh, that came as a result of, of taking my family to hear a reenactment of Washington's farewell address, and and I'm embarrassed uh, to say that I don't believe I'd ever heard it before. And yet it was one of the most profound things uh, that struck me deeply in terms of, of Washington's uh, worldview and perspective, uh, especially on the foundations of, of the nation. And so I began to read everything I could uh, because I thought I'd been lied to. And, uh, and I realized that in, in a large sense, I've, I had. But that then led uh, the Lord to basically crush my heart over the state of the nation today in my job. Uh, I was a liaison for the president uh, to all the federal agencies in a particular area and I had responsibilities in what is now known as the Situation Room. And as I began to look around uh, the, the status of, of where our nation was at the time, and remember, Brett, that was even back in 1990, 91, 92. And so uh, the Lord uh, broke my heart because of uh, the distance that we had we had uh, fallen. I felt uh, from uh, the very beginning the vision, uh, but it was it wasn't long after that that the Lord broke my heart uh, for the state of the body of Christ because I began to realize that it was the 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 state of the body of Christ uh, that was being reflected in the state of the nation, and so. It was at that point the Lord uh, crushed me and uh, put a put a hand on my back and radically changed the direction I was going in my life. It wasn't a salvation change. I was already a, a believer, but it was a, a vocational change. Um, the direction I was heading and turned me 180 degrees around because I, I had this compelling uh, need now to do everything I could uh, to try and help get the body of Christ healthy and vibrant, uh, to be light and salt again, um, in a nation where I, I sense that we had failed to do that. And mm. so, and the nation was suffering as a, as a result of that. Uh, so I, I left the white house. I really had no clue <laughs> what I was, uh, going to do, uh, specifically, but I knew that I had a call to do everything I could. Well, all of that led to um, uh, beginning to teach worldview 
studies because I felt like that was the issue. I still believe that was the fundamental issue of helping the body of Christ uh, get that comprehensive, systematic biblical worldview. Um, and then uh, events uh, transpired as the Lord reached down and grabbed me and yanked me from one place to the other that uh, we ended up uh, producing the Truth Project and uh, Focus on the Family published it. And it's gone over the world. And uh, I've heard testimonies from people all over the world, and it continues to amaze me. Amen. So talk about <clears throat> specifically, as you go through the 13-week study, we we dive in um, and how you kind of break down systematically, you know, um, kind of what the issues with the worldview are and how you attack that with the Truth Project. Sure. The <clears throat> the way we approach a biblical worldview in, in the Truth Project is a little unique uh, in the way that most people who write about a biblical worldview approach the, the subject. I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, I'm just saying that it's a unique approach. Uh, and it's more in line with uh, what Dr. Noble had laid out, where we try to look at a biblical worldview from a, a 360 degree perspective of life. Uh, so rather than the typical way of going through a biblical worldview according to historical epics, uh, creation, fall, redemption, and so forth, uh, we looked then at every area of life. So we wanted to look at what has God spoken in the area of philosophy? Uh, how has he spoken in the area of ethics and in social order and history and science? Um, how has he spoken in terms of anthropology? Who is man and who, who is God? Uh, all of those uh, different areas. So the Truth Project basically uh, is like walking around a clock, a 360-degree <laughs> view of life in each of those major areas. And uh, the fundamental thing that we're trying to understand in all of that, first of all, who God is and the aspect of God's nature and character that lies behind uh, how we view the world uh, through the philosophical lens, uh, based upon who God is and what he has revealed to us in his word and in the world around us, and then compare that to how the world uh, sees the world uh, through yeah. a lens of philosophy. Yeah, and I thought that was great. And, and one of the kind of parts of my testimony that was really interesting is, you know, you guys went all over the world. I think you were in England interviewing people and you know, just all over the place, um, interviewing different people to get what their worldview was. What do you think about this? And, you know, now that I've been a Christian for, you know, 12 years, it, and I look back at some of the things that those people said, it's kind of like, it's, it's alarming and disturbing to see how, you know, not Christian or, you know, almost out of touch some people's worldview is. But as I was going through it, I was agreeing with those people, right? Because that's where I was when mm. I walked into the program and what's interesting is Flash is one of the people that you talk to in the Truth Project, and he is a tattoo artist in Colorado Springs. Well, Colorado Springs is where all of my shenanigans took place, and, and just in the way that God does things, um, I used to sell drugs to Flash. I used to do drugs with Flash. Uh, I, I was friends with the guy who owned Flash's tattoo parlor up on Vickers and Academy, and um I, you know, I'm sitting in prison, you know, years removed from this and I'm watching the truth project and all of a sudden, boom, there's flash. Right. And this is not, uh, you know, to, to go all over the world. And then the one person that, you know, that they did interview in Colorado Springs happens to be someone that I used to, to do drugs with and, and to watch that and hear the things that he was saying it, you know, it broke my heart. And, and I obviously identified with him 
and I saw the anger that he had. Um, and you know, when it ended, I told everybody at the table, I'm like, Hey, I know that guy. And the guy that was running my table Mm. said, well, he gives his story at the end. And one of the reasons I stuck Mm. around was to see what happened to flash. And I would, I I would love to, you know, I I hope, you know, God has gotten a hold of flash by now because that's, that's been 10 or 15 years, you know, since then. But, um, just amazing to, to see God's providence in it all. Yeah, it really is. And uh, it's providential to hear you uh, tell that story uh, because everywhere I go, when I meet uh, with people who've been through the Truth Project, uh, I can almost write it down on a piece of paper. Uh, the first thing that people are going to ask uh, are about Flesh wow. uh, or Kyle, uh, but they will ask about Flesh. And so uh, I have always believed that just as C.S. Lewis said, uh, that uh, the hound of heaven is not going to let him go because there Amen. are people praying for him all over the world, people who don't know him, but they know him yeah. uh, because they they saw his story. They followed him uh, through uh, the Truth Project as he, he spoke about things and his anger, uh, his anger against uh, the church and, and Christians and so forth. But um, in the end, uh, the Lord broke people's heart because they heard his story. And uh, so there are people praying for him uh, all over. And, and uh, we know a few things, uh, but I, uh, I don't know the end of that story. Yeah. Well, it's definitely just interesting to see the way that God, you know, weaves things together. And, and, and obviously personally in my life and that story uh, was pretty, pretty wild um, to, to think about. Yep. Um, before we move on uh, from the truth project. And again, I, <laughs> can't emphasize enough to my listeners and 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 I want to tell everyone if you have not gone through the truth project if your church has not gone through the truth project this is not some you know shameless plug to you know get you to get you know go get these DVDs for Dr. Tackett or whatever it it is the most life-changing um earth-shattering thing that you can go through that will will absolutely grip you. You won't be the same after going through it. That is the only way that I can describe it. Where can people go to get it? Where is the... Right. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Brian, because we hear that all over the world, and we still hear it. In fact, uh, you know, we filmed that uh, over 15 years ago, and I was I was just, <laughs> not but a few days ago, speaking to someone who was uh, just going through it for the first time, and they were talking about uh, how relevant it was that it was as if it'd been made today. Yeah. Um, and that's not me. That's, that's the Lord. But, um, I still encourage people to go through it. And there've been people who've, who've gone through it over 20 times and, um, he continues to bless as a result of it. But there are two ways uh, they can do that. One, they can go, uh, to focus on the family and, uh, they can get it, um, from focus uh, or they can come to our website, and um, we we still hold to the small group format. So yeah. uh, we will re- require that if people want to get the Truth Project, uh, that they will go through um, an online session with me for forty five minutes, uh, just to talk about what it means, uh, what the Truth Project means, uh, why it was made for small groups, and what does it mean to lead a small group. Uh, so we will do that training uh, for you. Uh, but uh, they can get it from Focus or they can get it from uh, uh, com. Okay. I would love to see some of the churches here in Alabama, some of the big churches that do small groups like Church of the Highlands and Brook Hills and some of these other mm-hmm. massive churches. Mm-hmm. Um, again, even if you're not a massive church, like we've done it at my church. Uh, and it was, it was you know, we have a much, right. much, much, much smaller <laughs> church than than them. But yeah. just seeing, um, you know, seeing the effect it had, I would, you know, would, would 
would love to see this podcast, use it to maybe get in into some of the churches here in Alabama and, and the, what we're facing as a nation and specifically as I'm concerned with is at 1819 news, we're in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama. Uh, I'm concerned with what's going on in the, within the borders of Alabama. Uh, but the things that are going on in the nation affect us. And so we're not just blind to the national issues, but, um, the, the cultural chaos that is on our doorstep right now, um, with the transgender movement and critical race theory, and basically it's communism and the long march through the institutions and all this stuff, um, you know, moving into our country and it's, and it's just, it's darkness. Um, and the only way that we're going to overcome it is if, if a, we repent personally, corporately repent, um, and begin to see things through the lens that the Bible gives us. Uh, and, and this is a great tool to do that. Yeah. Well, I absolutely agree with you, Brian. We it's a worldview battle. That's what's going on in in our nation today, and it is the Marxist uh, worldview uh, that is penetrating uh, a lot of our culture, and in, in particular, it's penetrating a lot of the uh, core social powers in those institutions: and in, uh, media, education, academia, uh, and and uh, even the sphere of labor. Now are are being pulled into this uh, Marxist worldview, and that Marxist worldview is uh, at its at its heart fundamentally it, it is opposed to God, yeah. but at its heart it pits people against each other in order to destroy uh, social order. That's why I, my personal opinion is I, I think it's a demonic worldview. I've done a lot of study on Marx uh, and his life. I've written about that and so forth, uh, that uh, I believe that this has its source and roots in, in a, in a d- demonic perspective. Uh, and, and that is why the, the worldview ultimately wants to destroy the social order uh, of God. And, uh, but I, I agree it's a, it's a deep battle, and, the, and one of the most fundamental things that has to happen is that the body of Christ has to understand what a biblical worldview is. You know, what is that systematic, comprehensive biblical worldview that God has given us uh, so that we will be better able to see these uh, truth claims that are thrown at us uh, from every quarter and to be able to discern and understand uh, that they are really totally opposite of, of God's worldview. Yeah. You can almost go to every single point in which they kind of hang their hat on and just know that it's going to be the diametrical opposite, right? Of what God says literally is opposite. So if God says this is true, their worldview is going to say the exact opposite is true. And you, I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. So, um, one of the, the more, um, bigger podcasts we've done, we had a gentleman by the name of Curtis Bowers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, um, wonderful guy who's dedicated his life to exposing, um, you know, the works of communism, communism in America. And he's, um, a good friend of mine. And, um, he recommended some books that was, I believe the naked communist, um, masters of deceit and, uh, none dare call it treason. And so those are really good resources. If you want to look into uh, what's going on there, I'm actually reading masters of deceit by J Edgar Hoover right now. And it goes into Marx and how Marx's thoughts, influenced Lenin, Lenin turned it into action and then to Stalin and then how that all has moved now into our country. Well, um, so before we jump into is Genesis history, I would like to hear a little bit more about, um, your family, where you were born, where you grew up, how your parents, cause this, this ties into what we talk about on every one of our podcasts, we get into biblical manhood family. And I think that will tie us into the engagement project as well. Um, but talk about your upbringing, who were your parents? How did you grow up and how has that affected your life? 
Sure. I, I grew up on a, a farm in southeast uh, Idaho. Uh, my dad was uh, essentially a, an engineer at the Atomic Energy Commission. And uh, my mom was uh, a stay-at-home mom. Uh, so I had, uh, I had an older sister, younger sister. And we grew up in, uh, in southeastern Idaho, which was uh, uh, a unique kind of a, a community setting for us. But uh, spent my life on that, on that farm. Uh, we, it wasn't a huge farm. It was more of a hobby farm, I guess you could say, because my dad's main income was coming uh, from his work out at the nuclear uh, Atomic Energy Commission. Uh, but we did, uh, we raised some crops and uh, we had horses and, and cattle and sheep and chickens and, and all those things that uh, a typical farm has, just more in a, in a smaller form. Uh, but that was my life uh, growing up on a farm. And I think it's one of the things I've mentioned, and it doesn't mean that people who don't grow up in a farm have common sense. But I think if you grow up in, in that kind of a world, uh, an agriculture world in particular, mm -hmm. Uh, that you have to have uh, a real understanding of the world around you. You have to have common sense. Uh, other, otherwise, um, you know, the cattle aren't going to survive. You're not going to survive. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm thankful, uh, thankful for that. Uh, but then uh, because uh, of job things, uh, I moved after my junior year in high school to Kansas City and uh, did my senior year in, in Kansas City. And then my family moved to Puerto Rico. And uh, my dad was uh, there for... Um, a, n a number of, of years, uh, my folks got a divorce, and uh, but uh, I ended up going uh, to college there in Kansas City, and then ultimately uh, Kansas State University. Uh, did graduate work in artificial intelligence after my uh, bachelor degree, and then went into the Air Force uh, to fly. Uh, I thought, uh, <laughs> but uh, the Lord had other ideas, and uh, so uh, because of uh, physical issue uh, was grounded uh, later on and then entered into the com uh, and intel world and ended up um, retiring uh, from the air force uh, and then the the thing that we talked about before the the stint at the white house and and uh, radical switch in in my life uh, direction and all of that then resulted in in the truth project and the who is jesus video series and the um, is Genesis history movie and and now the engagement project. Interesting. I've not heard of the Who is Jesus one. Now I've got something else I get to go watch. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, and and one of the reasons I kind of went there, uh, Doctor Tackett, we always um, we're big into storytelling, and I love to hear people's stories because it's just a better way of getting to know people. Um, people can usually get on and jump and talk about facts and statistics and graphs and data, um, but we like to get to know people. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. So an, another project that you were at the helm of that had a huge influence on my life, and I think many others that I've known, uh, is a film called Is Genesis History? Um, and, you know, going back to, you know, obviously this this book is telling the truth, and if we don't believe it's telling the truth, even it's something that seems crazy like when you read Genesis, but it's like, no, if, 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 if we abandon it here, we've abandoned the whole thing. That's kind of what I got out of it. But mm -hmm. talk about, you know, what, what, what was the need that you saw to create that film and what were you trying to accomplish? Yes, that was, uh, that was a very unique experience uh, for me. Uh, when we did the truth project, that was a unique experience for me. I, I've never been involved in that kind of a video uh, production before we had, I think 26 crew, 
uh, on that, uh, the filming crew that did the, the uh, Truth Project. Well, the, the Institute of History was a, a, a movie that was released in theaters. And we can talk a little bit about that release because that, <laughs> that was quite, quite amazing. But the whole reason behind doing that film uh, was because of what was happening uh, as a result primarily of uh, the, the thought that was coming from theistic uh, evolutionists. And so uh, a friend of mine, uh, Thomas Purifoy, who owns and uh, heads up uh, the Compass Cinema uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, they are the film company that did uh, the Is Genesis History movie. Uh, he and I were, were talking and uh, talking about our concern about what was happening as a result of a very aggressive uh, push uh, by uh, theistic evolutionists that were moving into the seminaries in particular. That's what we were talking about primarily, what was happening in the seminaries. So mm. that that theistic evolutionary thought was being, uh, we'll say, impregnated into the seminaries. Well, I taught at a seminary, so I know what happens. You can't drop a, a little truth claim into a seminary and have it just sit there. Uh, seminary students will take that and they will begin to say, well, if this is true, then, then this is true. And if that's true, then this is true. And so what had happened is that if theistic evolution were true and fundamentally behind that, because I've talked to, uh, how many theistic evolutions have I talked to? And, uh, and I've always asked this question. I said, well, uh, help me here because, uh, theistic evolution, uh, what is it about evolution that you find lacking uh, that you think God had uh, to be a part of that process? And I've always gotten the response, why do you think I find anything lacking in evolution? And so my question is, well, then what is God's part in, in all of this? Um, the, you know, the, the generation of life and, and all the complexity of life that we see around us, and the answer has always been, well, God is there. Um, you know, it's some sort of um, a very uh, philosophical kind of a statement that God is kind of in the background. Uh, and the reason they say that is because evolution, from their perspective, answers all the questions of how everything came into being. And so the reality is you don't really need God, uh, even though you put theistic in front of it. So it's kind of like... Uh, an evolutionist who believes in God. Uh, but the God part doesn't really have a lot to do with the theory of evolution. Well, that uh, claim, that truth claim then, when you lay that into the seminary, then all of a sudden students begin to think, well, wait a second, if evolution is true, you have this long, slow process, evolutionary process, that eventually uh, somewhere in there we begin to talk about uh, people uh, uh, as humans. So there really wasn't an Adam and Eve. And uh, well, if there really wasn't an Adam and Eve, uh, then there, there was no, uh, uh, you know, tree of life. There was, there was no fruit that wasn't supposed to be eaten. There was no fall. It, well, if there's no fall, uh, then there's no need for salvation. So pretty mm. soon what was happening is the whole, the whole, of biblical of a biblical worldview was was beginning to crumble, 
uh, because of the very foundational things that were now placed into, uh, from a seminary's perspective, if you buy that, uh, the view of theistic evolution, what happened is that the whole Genesis narrative then uh, was placed into another uh, genre, literary genre of, um, of either myth uh, or poetry or something. Well, if it's, if it's myth or poetry or something else, then, then those things really didn't happen. And so there was no fall. Uh, there was there was no um, momentous uh, expression by God uh, that that we refer, we refer to in the in the in the Genesis account of this of the gospel being presented uh, there in Genesis chapter three uh, mm-hmm. of the coming the seed of the woman who was going to make all this well you know the the very first uh, the proto evangel we we call it you know the coming of the Messiah all of that then gets placed into some kind of a mythical uh, framework, a mythical genre. Well, in seminaries for seminary students, uh, this is huge. <laughs> and it begins to undermine uh, the whole reason why you're even there. And so that was that was the genesis, if you'll let me say that, uh, <laughs> for is Genesis history. Because we both were concerned about what was happening but neither of us wanted to simply create a film that was attacking uh, evolution. What we wanted to do was to create a film that was laying before the people of God uh, the reasons why they could read the scripture and hold to it uh, in the way that it's plainly written. It's plainly written in a historical narrative uh, genre and and so we wanted them to interview science, scientists uh, from all the various areas of science and interview them in terms of the evidence that, as they saw it, that supported that historical narrative of Genesis. And so that's what we did. And it was it's one of the most remarkable uh, times in my life to be able to spend uh, days with each of these brilliant absolutely brilliant, uh, genius-level scientists, uh, and to talk about the evidence that they see, and all of it was done in the field. This wasn't done in some, you know, library somewhere in somebody's uh, academic uh, uh, office. Uh, This was done out in the field, where these uh, scientists are examining the evidence for themselves. Uh, and they're looking at that evidence, and and they believe that evidence supports uh, the historical narrative of Genesis. And so, for me to have several days uh, with these scientists was just uh, an incredible, almost a dream come true. Yeah, it was so good. And one of the things that I'd always wrestled with, and 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 it's my dad. So my dad still isn't a believer, and he'll be watching this podcast. And so that's good. Then uh, <laughs> he's watching me, and we're talking about this. Dinosaurs is always his thing that he uses. That's his defense mechanism. That's his shield that he picks up as soon as I try and talk to him about any of this is dinosaurs. And I thought um, the the guy that you talked to with the dinosaurs and going and, you know, looking at the evidence of the flood. And I think it was the Grand Canyon that you guys went to. The only way that you can explain, you know, these layers of minerals is if there was a flood. I mean, the whole thing is just astounding and 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 both in the truth project and as genesis history and i feel like if, oh man 
and I hope I don't butcher this. What is the saying in the truth project where it says, if you, if you believe, if you really believe that what you believe is really real, (laughs) you can change the world. Is that it? It's been years. Yeah. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? There it is. So that was right. That was an attempt to try to help us, uh, you know, separate some of our what I call the professed worldview, where we will say things because we think uh, there is a benefit from saying those, but we don't really believe it. Yeah. Uh, but those things that we profess, if if we believe that they're really real, you know, I think uh, the example. I, I think we use in the truth project. I don't really remember what we did in the truth project anymore, but, but the whole issue of, of praying, if, if when I pray, I, I truly believe I I'm in the throne room before God. Um, if I really believed that that was real, uh, would it have an impact on my prayer? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it would. And so it's, it's a call for us to, to understand that, the truth that God has delivered to us is real. Um, yes, it from a, a epistemology, epistemology we could talk about what truth is and so forth. But it's it's what's real. It's the reality. Yeah. It's not what's happening today. I mean, we live in a world where increasingly uh, we want to make up. We want mm-hmm. to make up our own reality. That's what you know. That's what's happening in this whole uh, deconstruction of male and female. Yeah, and uh, so. I want to say I'm a woman. Well, I want the whole world to bow down to that because, you know, we've basically moved into a homo deus that, you know, each individual and the heart of the individual is is the divine proclamation. And everyone has to bow down to that. And Mm. if you don't, then you're a blasphemer and we will, uh, you know, we will punish you as, as a result of that. But all of that and the, and the, 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 the metaverse, um, all of that's being created to create a world. that's not real. Uh, but what we want to do is help people understand that, look, God, the one who created all of this, the one who created us, the one who created male and female, the one who created marriage, the one who created all of the, uh, the systems uh, that we see all around us, he, he is, is the God of reality, and his truth is the expression of what's real. And when you become grounded in that truth, now your feet are on the rock. Now you're in uh, real reality, not not in this virtual reality world uh, that is exploding all around us. Yeah, and I I really feel like the Truth Project and its Genesis history it solidifies that I really believe what I say that I believe. And and then if you if you really believe that what you believe is real, you know, if if you really do, then you can change the world. And if you really believe this stuff and. And, and the content that you've created and the, and the, the things that you've, you know, the, the film, the, the, you know, the, the teaching series, it, it helps me really, really, really believe it at a deeper level that, that causes me to step out in faith in areas and watch God work in my life in ways that I don't think he would have had I not stepped out in faith because I really believed it. So that's kind of where I, uh, the, yep. the circle I was going with with that. Um, right. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Brian, that that's that's really in, in important and critical uh, what you said there, because my call the from the very beginning back back into the White House there, my call was to the body of Christ. Mm. Uh, it was to do everything I could to help the body of Christ uh, to um, be strong and viable and and on on a solid foundation. My call is not 
to the unbeliever. Um, we know what the scripture says. Um, you know, if if you don't have eyes to see, you're not going to see it. If you don't yeah. have ears to hear, you're not going to hear it. So even though, you know, in the in the Istanbul's history, we were talking about the soft dinosaur tissue. Yeah. And I, I even I got to see it. I, I got to touch it. I got to stretch it. And yeah. uh, we are finding now that that's not just simply an anomaly. Uh, a lot of people said, well, that was an anomaly at that particular place, a lot of nickel and da-da-da-da-da. Now we're finding that that's the norm. I mean, we don't usually dig up a... a you know, a dinosaur born and break it. <laughs> we, know, we preserve it. Yeah. But what we're finding now is that it is the norm uh, for that tissue uh, to still be soft. Uh, and well, if you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, you're going to reject uh, that evidence. And and by the way, I don't know if you know, we're we're just uh, we've just finished filming the sequel to the Is Genesis History I movie. I did not know that. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm very excited about it because it's another one of those uh, discoveries that talks about the, the evidence that we see, in particular the folding in the geological rocks. Uh, my perspective is that if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it will, it will throw out the whole geological timetable. It has to, yeah. uh, that, uh, that discovery. But anyway, so this uh, sequel is talking about what was the world like when Noah got off the ark after the flood and the, the earth is still trembling. Um, we know this, uh, scientifically, even, even non-believers know this. We've had huge volcanoes, huge earthquakes. Uh, we've had, uh, the uh, massive formations of, of ice sheets and so forth in the past. And so we want people to understand, uh, that the world in which Noah found himself after the flood was not like our our little kids' coloring books, you know, with the you know the yeah. giraffe eating the leaves and the tree and the butterflies and the birds and you know it's almost like an Eden again. It was not. It was a world that was destroyed, yeah. and the mountains are still rising. So we have this uh, all of this uh, geological uh, turmoil that is still in effect. Uh, creating huge volcanoes and earthquakes and so forth. And and so the, it's the folding of these rocks that we're kind of focusing on in the midst of, of uh, the mountains rising and so forth to say, uh, can you scientifically look at those, at those layers? And as opposed to the uh, to this, the standard paradigm that says each of those layers was laid down over millions of years. Therefore, those rock, that rock was hard and so forth. When you have the rise, the pushing up, uh, that should have crumbled. You know, just like we see an earthquake today. Yeah. You know, earthquake. If an earthquake separates ground, it doesn't bend. We know yeah. that. You know, it, cr it crumbles. So why do we have these folds, multiple layers, all folded and bent like they were soft? Well, it's because they were soft. And so, um, anyway, we're scientifically going to look at, at that. That's one of the one of the focuses of this of this sequel. Anyway, sorry to get you off. No, on this that, is, but I'm this excited is about fabulous. It. I, I want to get I want to get yeah. you in uh, in 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 peak form. So this is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I'm I'm really excited. And and is that just going to be is Genesis history two, or does it have a different title? Well, I'm not sure what the title is going to end up being. Uh, originally, nominally, it was Is Genesis History the Rise of Mountains? 
but uh, that that could change before it's released. It uh, we will have the premiere in uh, uh, February of of 2023. Okay, very good. I'm gonna have all kinds of stuff to put in the show notes, and I'm 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 having stuff that I get to go watch now. So this is good. All right. Well, um, the the newest project I think that see, it seems like you've got a lot going on um, that that I became aware of uh, when you and I had a conversation. Uh, is the engagement project, and this seems like it's a bit of a follow up from the Truth Project. Is that correct? Well, it's uh, you know, we can talk about the <clears throat> the place where the engagement project sits in all of the worldview things that I have done. Uh, so the the Truth Project uh, is Gen- is Genesis history, even uh, who is Jesus, uh, uh, the uh, the TV shows I did, cross examine. All of those were still laying out this biblical worldview uh, foundation. And so the engagement project is now the next step. I mean, after you have a biblical worldview, then what? So the engagement project just sits on top of all those things that we've done. If you want to look at it strictly from the truth project, uh, the truth project ended up talking about the sphere of community. And uh, so the engagement project is now, if you want to look at it that way, is then taking that and expanding it out in terms of, you know, why, why are we here? You know, what, what is the epic in which we find ourselves as believers? And, and what are we called to do? What has God left us here uh, to do now that we have that biblical worldview? What, um, what I kind of, what can we expect from it? What, um, where, uh, give us a sneak peek, I guess, into it and some of the, the thoughts leading up to it. The engagement project is, uh, going to be another a worldview tour. So, but this time we're going to go through a worldview from the standpoint of, of the way people normally go through a worldview, uh, except it's going to be different. That uh, we look at the various epics in uh, the larger story of God, the meta narrative, that larger story of God. Yeah. Um, and so we look at creation, fall, redemption, and then uh, most people put uh, way out there, the restoration, yeah. the restoration of all things. But I'm interested in uh, the epic we're in. And so I've added an epic into that worldview perspective that I call the epic of engagement. Um, and the thing that's that's different in, in the engagement project than other worldview uh, books is that uh, first of all we're dealing now with an epic of engagement, which is not in uh, in the the typical way we look at a biblical worldview, and second of all, <clears throat> uh, this is not an academic exercise. We're not trying to again go through uh, all the facts and data associated with uh, with creation. What we're looking for is what I believe is the crown jewel in the nature of God. We're going to focus again on the very heart of God and who God is. And we talk about why did he create and why did he create the way he did? I mean, it's very, we'll just uh, kind of reveal some of these things. But one of the most astounding things to me is that when God created, uh, we see it in the garden, that God could have created uh, everything. And what I mean by that, he could have created every bush, he could have created every lion, he could have created uh, Adam and Eve. I call this the modus operandi of of God. What we see there in Genesis is that God, most astounding thing, God creates his creatures, and then he equips them, he empowers them, he charges them, and he sends them so that those creatures uh, 
will be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth as God charges them, but uh, they will uh, produce seed, uh, they'll, they'll produce uh, little lions, <laughs> they'll produce children, and those children in turn produce other children. And so this is the modus operandi of God, that his creatures were made to be fruitful, and that fruit brings glory to God. Mm. So this is that link between the modus operandi of God, the fruit of God's creatures, and then the glory of, of God. So that's what we're looking at, what we find in uh, the epic of creation. And then we, we move through, through that uh, to the fall and recognize that Satan has a counter-narrative. So he wants to destroy that fruitfulness. Well, wh- one of the things we find is that all of the fruitfulness that God was intending to come from his creatures was uh, made to come from the relationships, the divine relationships that God made. So male and female, boy, whoever thought that was going to be controversial, but yeah. he made uh, the male, male lion and the female lion, and, and they produce fruit by those diverse uh, elements of lions come together. The most diverse elements of humanity, male and female, come together, and they are fruitful. Even the plants, you know, we have pollinators, uh, we have uh, we have sun and soil and water. We, all of these systems are built by God in this relationship, divine relationship, to bring forth fruit. Well, Satan wants to destroy the glory of God, and how does he do that? So in, in the epic of the fall, we talk about Satan's ultimate scheme. His ultimate scheme is to destroy relationships. Mm. Because if he can destroy re- relationships, then he can destroy the fruit that comes from those relationships and therefore uh, cut off the glory that is that is due to God. Amen. So that then, yeah, all of that leads us eventually then to the, the epic of engagement and why we're here. And um, the, the postulate that I lay out in the very beginning and the one we're trying to prove, uh, and it, it may be controversial for some, but I think it's absolutely right right on, and we'll, we'll try to lay the biblical foundation for that uh, in the engagement project for people. But here's the postulate, Brian, and it's, it's really radical if you think about the way modern Christianity works. But the postulate is this, and that is that God has entrusted the primary work of the kingdom to the common everyday Christian family. Amen. Preach. And it is, it is out of that family uh, and the relationships within that family, the divine relationship in that family, uh, that are going to be fruitful in uh, their neighborhood uh, among those people that have been providentially placed in their Jerusalem, that uh, that mm. Christian family is going to begin to engage uh, those other people, and uh, in, uh, not in the way that we sometimes think today, but to engage them in, in order to build a deep relationship with them and pray for them diligently, uh, that, that God may use their family uh, to bring about their true good, about their shalom, and possibly even their salvation. So um, the engagement project is, is directed towards that. It's to try and help uh, the plumber in his family uh, who walk into church today, I guarantee you they walk into church today without any kind of vision of who they are in the body of Christ, mm. other than a consumer 
uh, mm. that shows up on Sunday to be uh, entertained uh, and uh, entertained with music, entertained with uh, with with a sermon. Uh, and then their job is to make money and their plumbing job to write a check so that the so that the the staff, uh, the professional <laughs> ministry people can do the real work of the kingdom. And that's absolutely backwards. It's upside down. Uh, it is not the way God had had intended for, for, for that to be. And so our, our job in the engagement project is to help cast that vision uh, so that the, the plumber and his family, the truck driver, the nurse and her family uh, will walk into church on Sunday morning with a vision of who they are uh, and that they're coming as a family to be equipped in that uh, primary role in the kingdom. Praise God. Yeah. And that, I mean, that message needs to be heard far and wide. And, 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 and I guess that gets back to, I mean, would it be ecclesiology and understanding what the church is and, and what it, you know, th- this isn't entertainment, this isn't consumer driven, this is participation driven, regulated principle of worship. I don't want to lose my audience here, but you know what I mean? You could probably start going down um, those rabbit trails, but I think another thing that's really imperative too that the that you said, you know, uh, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a doctor, whether you know you're a philosopher, whether you're you know whatever you are as a man, um, if you are married and you have children, you have a, you hold an office in one of the governments of God, and and that is absolutely. And if fathers would take up their mantle, and this is one of the the drums that we've just started beating on this podcast. Originally, eighteen nineteen news, the podcast was going to be you know, news, current events that's going on in Alabama. Let's talk about our senator. Let's talk about her whatever. And maybe we'll bring like a, a country music singer in or talk about barbecue ribs or something. I don't know. That was kind of the thing. But what would happen is we would always get to the point. What do we need to do as Alabama to have a free and flourishing Alabama? And it always came back to fathers, pastors, men being men. Um, and that's not to say that women don't have an, an imperative part. They absolutely do. But when the men are supposed to be the men or when, when, when men are doing what they're supposed to be doing, you, what you typically see is that everything else begins to fall in line naturally. And so if we would just be yes. the chief disciple makers in our home, if the men would stand up and, 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 and they would be hearing this from, from bold, courageous pastors that are telling fathers that they're the chief disciple maker in their children's life and that they would take up that responsibility to be the chief disciple, disciple maker, we wouldn't be losing our children in droves the way that we, ought, we have. Um, and one of the, the, the statistics that I like to say repeatedly on here if you look at secular couples, they don't even really do the couple thing as much anymore, but that's the way we've always breaking it down. Secular couples are reproducing at the rate of 0.8, 0.8 children per couple, mm-hmm. where Christian conservative families are at about 2.1 to 2.3. And so the only people that are reproducing fast yeah. enough to at least stay the same size is conservative Christians, yet we're shrinking and the left is growing. And what that means is that we've resolved yes. to be the breeders for the left. They're stealing our children. And it goes back to, like you said, the fruit mm-hmm. of the relationship is what God is after. And if God yeah. is after the fruit of that relationship, that means that Satan's going to be as well. He is trying to steal our children. And, and if fathers are not taking up that mantle as the chief disciple maker, they're going to allow their children to be stolen. And that's what I'm most excited about in, yep. in this project that you're working on is, is really touching on that subject. Well, I agree with all that, Brian. In fact, I uh, I just got through writing not long ago uh, what I call the seven threats uh, that are uh, aligning in our culture today. And a lot of those threats center uh, upon the loss of the noble male mm. and the loss of the virtuous female. 
the way God intended for the male and the female uh, to live and to walk before him, uh, the male was to be the noble male, the, the female was to be the virtuous female. And um, the, in particular, the Marxist worldview and a secular worldview uh, are trying to destroy that. Why? Because they want to destroy uh, the institutions of God, the social order of God. And that's why we have such, a, uh, such an attack upon the notion of male and the notion of female. And so when you, when you uh, destroy truth, when you pull truth out, uh, then uh, what happens is the noble male either becomes a buffoon uh, or it becomes a beast. Uh, like we like we find in in some nations in the Middle East, uh, what we find in the gangs and so forth, but mostly within our culture becomes a buffoon, mm. and uh, he is he is told, and the virtuous female then loses her um, her um, uh, her bridle for her compassion and grace, and it becomes what I call malevolent compassion. So the number one ethic in our culture today is a malevolent compassion drives everything, but it stems from the loss of the noble male and, and the virtuous, uh, virtuous female. Well, my personal opinion is that if the family, because we've lost the vision of who the family is, and I would contend that for the first 200 years in the church, that this vision was understood by families, and that's how the church spread. It was spread because that's what Jesus told them to do. It's what Paul said to do uh, as a family, that they were to engage their neighbors, the people who live around them, and that's how it grew. But now what happens is little Susie and little Johnny in our, in our families, our kids, what do they see of Christianity? The only thing they see of Christianity is the concert that they go to on Sunday. And I don't mean to demean all of this, but they're a consumer. Uh, and so to them, Christianity has no relevancy in the world in which they live. Well, if all of a sudden the family, and I believe led, led by the noble male and the virtuous female, are now ministering in that neighborhood and they're seeing God work. I mean, they're seeing the miracles God work. I guarantee it'll happen. Uh, then all of a sudden our children um, are beginning to understand that their Christianity is real. It's not just a Sunday thing that we do. Yeah. Amen. Well, we are uh, coming up to about an hour, and I want to respect your time. Um, and do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with with our audience before we go? Well, the the only uh, thought I have, uh, and that is to recognize, um, just like the the sons of Issachar, we need to understand the times in which we live. Mm. Uh, and it is possible, I've written, written about this, if people want to go on the website and read about it, written about the possibility that God has given us over to a depraved mind. And that means that the people around us are no longer going to respond to logic. They're, no, they're not going to respond to common sense. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to approach the world around us uh, in a way that is wise. Uh, not just tradition. Tradition was great. If tradition was built upon wisdom, it was built upon wisdom that was wise at that time. But it may no longer be wise in the times in which we live. And so we need to walk as people who are wise, understanding the times in which uh, we live, because these are difficult times. Uh, and our old way of, of doing Christianity is not, is not going to uh, be effective in the world in which we live. But the bottom line is we are a people of hope. So don't let the enemy uh, destroy your hope. Don't let him destroy your joy. 
um, we are we are God's people. Uh, even in the midst of a trial, we are to rejoice. Amen. Well, tell us again uh, where we can find uh, all of your work, um, your website, and all those things. Yeah, if they uh, if you're interested, just go to uh, deltackett.com, D-E-L-T-A-C-K-E-T-T, deltackett.com, uh, and you'll find um, worldview articles there. You'll find if you want to do the Engagement Project or the Truth Project, uh, in a small group, uh, you'll find those things and um, and the events that we have coming up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tackett, for joining us. Uh, it's really an honor and a privilege uh, for, for me to have you uh, on this podcast and uh, grateful for your time. Well, thank you, Brian, and thank you for all you're doing. I pray the Lord is going to bless you and, and uh, bless all of your listeners. Amen. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, and as, as always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.